Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the Halal Travel Podcast. You're listening to me, Hazira, Rada, and Nurul. Um, today we have here um, someone who is really special, someone who uh, we might meet in the future. Inshallah. <laughs> <laughs> I hope not. <laughs> She is Dr. Farhan Alami. Thank you so much for coming on board today. Welcome. Welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. <laughs> okay, so she is a geriatrician, and um, to just give you a quick roundup of what a geriatrician is, according to the dictionary, it is an expert in the branch of medicine or social science dealing with the health and care of old people. So that's why I said she we might meet her in the future. Okay. 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 Well, meet socially, like lunch, you know. Oh. Not in the hospital. <laughs> okay. Um, doctor, before, uh, do I call you doctor or should I call you something else? Yes, that's fine. As it's up to you, you can call oh. me Farhan. That's my first name. Interesting. Uh, I've always find it so cool how like your first name is Farhan. Yeah, because uh, my patients are surprised as well sometimes when I open the door because yeah. they expect a male doctor. Mm. And it was quite funny because I went on a volunteer trip as a doctor mm-hmm. and everyone um, on the trip before they met me, um, they were told Dr. Farhan um, and husband. So Interesting, that's cool, that's cool. Okay, so um, will you say what I just mentioned uh, from the dictionary correct? Yes, so I am a geriatrician. Okay, geriatrician. I had no idea it was so difficult to pronounce till mm-hmm. I did a show and tell pre-COVID at my son's kindergarten. Mm-hmm. Then it's, it's a Montessori kindergarten, so the teacher made them clap out the syllables, like clap it out. <laughs> it was like geriatrician. Wow, wow that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> okay, an adult. Share a bit more about yourself. So I'm a doctor. And I specialize in older people. Um, my parents, they had no idea what I did. Yeah, because they said, um, doesn't every doctor manage older people? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because older people tend to have a lot of medical conditions. Mm-hmm. So, um, do you know what, how old you have to be, Hazira, to be able to see me? That's why I wasn't <laughs> happy when you said. <laughs> 65? Uh, yeah, 70 is my guess. Yeah, good. That's a great guess. So, um, some say 60, some say 65. Um, sometimes we don't go by an age criteria, mm. but we go by um, what the, what is the condition of the person. Mm. So, I tend to see people with what we call geriatric syndromes, mm-hmm. um, which are just a couple of things that come together. So, someone with memory issues, for example. I see lots of um, older people with dementia. Mm-hmm. I... I see older people who have lost a lot of weight and have problems with nutrition. Mm. I see people who have frequent frequent falls. Mm-hmm. I see people who have problems with um, continence, like they, you know, they wet or mm. they, um, yeah, they have like bowel problems. Um, I mean, it can be very embarrassing for an older person when they think they smell of urine, for example. Yeah. yeah, I had an older lady who refused to leave her house. Mm. So before the urine problems, she was perfectly well. She was volunteering in her uh, grand grandchild's mm-hmm. um, school, you know, and then, yeah, when the incontinence happened, she became uh, more homebound and then she became depressed. Yeah. I see. Scary, yeah. <laughs> But, yeah, I mean, w- w- is it right to say that um, you, we can, it's something that we can expect 
for everyone who grows old to meet someone like you. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I, I like that tone a lot of definition <laughs> <laughs> um, well I think the first thing that we um, we need to realize is growing old is an opportunity mm. Mm. yeah like not everyone has a chance to grow old that's true, that's true. Yeah. yeah that's why I say inshallah it's a good yeah. thing <laughs> it's a really good way of looking at it <laughs> okay continue yeah, inshallah, we'll meet before uh, COVID is over and before you grow old. <laughs> after COVID is over, yeah. After COVID is over, before you grow old. Inshallah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's not like everything gets worse, you know, with mm. um, a long life. You know how old you will live. Okay, we're all women in Singapore. We're really lucky. Mm. What, what's the average lifespan of a woman Seven. in living in Singapore? I want to say 65. I want to guess 74. Okay. I have higher. Come on, please. Oh, okay, okay. Eighty, eighty, eighty-five. Eight. Good. That's eighty-seven, eighty-seven, eighty-seven. Is my grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> I think our price is right. Huh? Yeah. <laughs> One dollar. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Oh, is your grandmother? Uh, Rauda, is it? You mentioned. No, no, no. It's me. No, <laughs> no. Uh, she's born in nineteen twenty-three. I think. Okay. So I cannot do math. Twenty twenty-one minus nineteen eighty-three and twenty-three. Papa. Tahu. I, I think it's about 70 to 80 lah. Yeah, that's yeah, how old she is. So we will be expected to live till 84. Mm. And, and we are like number three in the world in terms of longevity. Okay. Um, so men, they, um, they live till 82. So I often get asked questions whenever I do like talks or like public forums. People always ask, why is it that the men die faster or the, the you know, the <laughs> So what's the answer? What do you think? Mm. My husband says because the women kill us all off. That's what my husband says. Everything. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think they're just like uh physically. And it's like they physically, uh, wear out their body. Mm. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, because they use more strength. Complex. Yeah, I mean, men have uh different roles mm. right in in society. Um, and it's actually, actually quite a complex question, like why is it that women tend to live longer? Um, so we know that certain diseases affect um, men more. Like mm. for, exam- for example, cancer, they have a higher risk of cancer. Mm. Uh, men have a higher risk of heart disease. Mm. Yeah, but of course, uh, post-menopause, women, um, our risk of heart disease becomes similar to our counterparts, to, to the men. Yeah, and of course, like untreated depression, uh, risk of suicide. Um, men, you know, they they there is a higher chance that they don't seek help when um, they have mood issues. Mm. Yeah, so there are actually uh, many reasons, uh, but it's statistically um, proven that women live longer. And very interestingly, yeah, very interestingly, in twenty fifty, let's say we have okay in twenty fifty, do you all have kids? No. You know. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, let's say in twenty fifty you have a grandkid. Okay, mm-hmm. thirty years. You know, you've had a kid, and okay, you, um, she has a kid. In twenty fifty, a a girl, a baby girl born, will live up to ninety two. So mm-hmm. it's a real um great achievement in humanity. You know that our longevity is just increase increasing mm-hmm. year by year. And mm-hmm. imagine in. In 30 years, a baby girl will live like um, 8 years longer than how long we're living now. Mm. Yeah. 
It's interesting. I cannot imagine I living that long. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. Wow. Never. No, I'm just thinking on Rose Gomez. Life is already hard. At yeah, I just yeah, just imagine times four. I cannot. Like hell. <laughs> think about it. Think about it. By the time you reach fifty, inshallah, like most of your problems would be like eased. <laughs> and then uh, plus another a few more years, and then I will be meeting the doctor. Yeah, that's true. That's true that's but true. I I think there's a lot of blessings in uh living longer or living shorter. Uh, but regardless of what you mentioned about how uh, uh what's it called? Uh, society has improved so much. Our medical facilities, our healthcare system, and the fact that we have yes. lower mortality rate—that's yes. actually a huge improvement in itself. Because I mean, last time there's so many people passing away from very small diseases that mm. right now it's like non-existent practically. Yeah. So yes. I can only sure. imagine how far ahead mm-hmm. in time the medical system and a lot more of the um diseases will. Longer cease to exist, lah. Mm. Mm. I think it's a yeah. lot more interesting now that, uh, I th- I think even at my age, like in our age, like twenties, we are aware that there there are certain things that we should um, be prepared for. So like breast cancer or like possible heart diseases. I think I don't know. Maybe I've never been to the past. Yeah. <laughs> But like it's so cool how now we are more aware, and I feel like we know like our ge- our next game plan. So like right. if we get the get the get the uh, result that we are experiencing mm-hmm. something, we know what to do next, and mm-hmm. we do not like question our healthcare system. Yeah, yeah. But I also feel like um, there's only so much that you can control. Um, like everyone's gonna age, right? And everyone's body is gonna go through wear and tear, and you are going to reach a stage where you are eventually you will start to forget your memories and things yeah. like that. So like, um, how do this patients of yours doctor when they come to you like when you tell them okay this is something uh, you're experiencing for the first time and like some of them can they uh, is it difficult for them to accept the change mm-hmm. like not being able to remember like where you stay and things like that is very scary for me think of i think one important thing um that you know science has shown is that dementia itself is preventable So mm. you can decrease your risk of dementia by up to forty percent. Mm. So there's lots and lots that we can do to be able to age well. Mm-hmm. Um, if you ask, I mean, I like to uh, give a whenever I do a public talk, I like to title it. So you want to live till a hundred, or mm. I doctor, I want to live till a hundred. And if you ask uh, people in the audience, do you want to live till a hundred? The question is usually no. Okay, how about posing the question to? Uh, <laughs> She gave a very hard no. I mean, uh, that's true. I think with uh, growing up to hundred, like can get more problems. I want. I want to see like uh the my my grandchildren and Grand, grandchildren grand. and grow up and, and yeah, yeah. Like I think that's a it's a privilege like what she said. Mm. I think uh, yes. for me, 90 and I'm like, Halas, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> I think for me, it's uh, my grandmother was the one who mentioned to me that um, out of all the du'as that she does, um, one of the du'as she would she wouldn't um, actually pray for is for a longer Pandemic. life. Because like she feels that if you would, 
I mean, like if you're granted a longer life in, on earth, it gives you more opportunity to sin. But then again, you could also give you more opportunity to taubat. So there's like this yes. balance, yeah. lah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. In a way. Yeah. Um, so everybody wants to, you know, live well till um, till right till the end. And I uh, had a mentor when I was in medical school. I did my family medicine rotation. So that's you know like your GP, your general practitioner. So this um, this doctor was in his seventies, and he played a huge influence in um, the choices that I made mm. uh, in my career. Mm-hmm. Um, he opened clinic in the morning. He took an afternoon nap and he didn't wake up at 76. Mm. So, you know, he was really well. He was so sharp and I mean, he was so well that he uh, he ran his morning clinic. You know, he saw patients in the morning. Mm-hmm. He went back and took a nap like his usual routine and his wife uh, couldn't wake him up. You know, that was how mm-hmm. he passed mm-hmm. on. So I think that's really uh, ideal, right? Yeah. None of us want to, we don't want to, like forget our family members we don't want to be Mm. a burden to them yeah so we want to live well to the end and just like we save money in our cpf for example to you know take the money at retirement um i always say to young people um or younger people that we put in money in our health retirement account like right now you know there's so much that we can do to not have dementia to not be frail to be active um, I recently uh, reconnected with my um, art teacher. I, he taught me watercolor, and he's he is seventy six. So we started to watercolor together again. Oh, so cute! Yeah, and he's such a gem because he he has like I mean he started watercoloring at eighteen. So imagine mm. I mean he's uh, just a very skilled artist. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So I suppose that's what we uh, we want to achieve. You know, want to mm. aim for to be active, to still be contributing, to like be a treasure trove of experience. Mm. Mm. Yeah, is but that uh, does that answer your question, Rauda? Sorry, yes. the second part. Like, yeah. how do we? How do I cope with people who like lost everything? Right, because older people they lose everything. You know, you lose um, eyesight, lose. No, the second part of the question is more like um, how do how do you kind of break the news to patients uh, who are experiencing these things for the first time? How do they kind of must be difficult for them to accept, right? That for they sure, are for sure. slowly losing their memory, and you know what? Uh, what sort of advice would you give them to kind of uh, internalize that and and take it in their stride? Um, it is quite tough, you know, having a diagnosis like dementia. It's mm. just like saying you have cancer. Yeah. You know, it, um, it's really difficult because the person in the early stages is can be very aware of what's going on mm. and you can become depressed just by getting that diagnosis you know mm. so depression can be a complication of dementia like dementia can cause depression um, it can also be a result of the diagnosis of dementia Mm. Yeah, and a forgetful person may actually not have dementia, but they are actually actually depressed. They have what we call pseudo dementia, like a pretend dementia. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. So I must say it is difficult, and uh, what's important is to get family involved as well. Mm-hmm. Because so much of caring for a person with dementia is in supporting the family, because the diagnosis doesn't just um, affect the person, but mm-hmm. it affects the entire family. You know, I have grandkids mm-hmm. living in the same house that are sitting for exams and they are very upset by uh, grandmother's change in behaviour, for example. Yeah. Mm. yeah, I think that's a challenge, even for the family's part, I think. Like, um, sometimes you don't anticipate these kind of things. 
Because I always feel, I always see all this situation in like Malay dramas where they would show this lady, uh, old lady, who is going through dementia and uh, you will see the family members much, um, they get very frustrated themselves, you know, trying to care for the, for the mother, which is very scary in my opinion. What advice do you think you would give to the family themselves? I mean, it's easy for us to say like, okay, you need to be more compassionate, you need to be more bersabar, you need mm-hmm. to be more patient. But I think in their position, I think it's a completely different situation. What, what kind of advice do you would give? Well, the first thing is that it's not easy. You know, yeah. um, there's, a, there's an excellent manual about caregiving uh, patients with dementia. It's called the 36-hour day. And mm-hmm. it's called the 36-hour day because caregiving involves another eight hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, caregiving is... Imagine all of you have full lives, right? Yep. Yeah, yeah very full lives. There's like not enough time in the day to like get everything done. Yeah. And then taking on a caregiving task. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's not just um, the day, but it's 365 days, you know, like 24-7, no break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think anyone's expected to do it alone. Yeah. yeah. So the burden of caregiving falls a lot on women. Mm. Women tend to be like sandwiched. So we have our older parents to look after and then we have um, our kids to look after. Mm. Yeah. So what advice would I give? Um, I mean, it is an, another hour, I suppose. But then I would say that um, just knowing that it's not easy to equip yourself with um, information and then to reach out to ask for help. Yeah, because you just can't do it alone. And I suppose, you know... Um, I mean, I've been reading more books about caregiving recently. And um, do you know how many Singaporeans will be older? Like in 2030, what are the statistics? I know it's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> I know it's a lot. Like there will be yeah. more silver, population. Yeah. silver population. Yeah. It will be very much increased. And exactly. we will have very little our age. <laughs> yeah, because yeah. not... not not, uh, not producing yeah. as much yeah. yes, fertility exactly. rates at the yeah. lowest right now. That's fertility right. So it's like silver tsunami. <laughs> so so it's like, <laughs> what, what is one it? million. One so million. One in four, yeah, one in four Singaporeans will be senior. Wow. Yeah. Mm. And um, the whole idea is to age in place, you know, to yeah. remain in our communities. Yeah, but su- support for the patient with dementia is really important for the person with dementia, like for communities to be dementia-friendly, fam- be able to, um, you know, to have care centres to um, enable the caregiver to uh, do work, for example, to get mm. in work or even to just to um, rest and go through other activities, yeah. Mm. I mean, my um, my mom recently had knee surgery. surgery. Mm-hmm. So she's 65 and she uh, replaced her knee. So my dad was her caregiver. Mm-hmm. So they are, my dad's two years younger than my mom. And mm-hmm. then he was like, oh my God, I can't believe like I have to help her to the toilet. It's like, you know, <laughs> too young for this. <laughs> this caregiving role is... Yeah. <laughs> and then my mom is like, oh, I can't even ask her to do, him to do anything. Like, you know, you feel bad. Like, you yeah. don't want to... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's like one example of how caregiving, you never expect it. You're just like, suddenly it's thrown onto you. Mm-hmm. And if you think about it, how many of us have the experience of caregiving before we were forced into the role? Or mm-hmm. like, so all of us are going through it for the first time. Yeah. Like, we become caregivers, yeah. Yeah. It's like becoming mom, I suppose. It's like, yeah. 
Oh, you know, we always think of pregnancy labour, we get through it, then what comes after? That's <laughs> it's true. just human psychology, you know, what's the immediate problem? That's true. Yeah. Mm. Get the baby out and then it's like, okay, let's see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, it reminds me of when my grandfather got knee surgery. Mm-hmm. And um, maybe because we are too busy with our lives. Uh, I was really young. Okay, so I think the number one... Um, I see among the family around me, including myself, my own, um, when someone has a knee surgery, um, we would always um, resort to the idea of having a domestic helper. Uh-huh. So I, I don't know, uh, I think it's interesting that your father is helping your mother. Um, right? Correct? Right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, um, it's, it's something that everyone will go through. But now I'm thinking like, what if this person do not have anyone to depend on? Like yes. no family, kind people yes. who are living on yes. their own. I think. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. And um, like, is there like any? How do you think? How does Singapore actually um, help this community who do not have anyone to depend on? Well, do you know how we define loneliness? Like, how do we decide is a person lonely or not? Right, because oh. you're talking about isolated elderly people who don't have anyone. Do you know how um, we define loneliness? Like, for example, uh, Hazira, are you lonely? Definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, uh, yes, I'm like solo or single, but it's not. It's always dependent on like the people around me, you know, mm. to communicate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the screen screening question question, um, like I'm a doctor, I want to find out if my patient is lonely. Okay, um, so the scre- screening question is if there is an emergency, for example, your cat is stuck in a tree, mm-hmm. um, are there two people that you can call to help you, you know, who can drop everything and come now? Are there two people? Mm. So, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. I'll put that question to three girls. Uh, uh, would you say, Radha, do you have two, uh, two people? Nurul, do you have two people to call? Azira says yes, definitely. Yeah. Yeah? I, I mean, do I just answer my call? <laughs> if my cat yes, is in a tree, I will call the fire department to help me. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Okay. Okay. True. So that's yeah. already two people. Two <laughs> people. <laughs> yeah. So, um, older people. I mean, this older person may have had spouse, you know, and then the spouse died, yeah. so they are widowed. They may have children who live overseas. Yeah, they may not be close to their neighbours. They may have been uprooted and living um, somewhere else. They, have, they may have downgraded, for example. You know, they mm-hmm. moved, so they've not made connections yet. Yeah, so definitely there are um, lonely people. And I suppose, how do we help them? So there's um, like macro factors, right? Systemic governments, you know. Uh, but I suppose there's also like a micro factor. So someone asked me, I did one of these things about older people, depression, lonely. And then one of the posts asked me, uh, when was the last time you called your grandma? Yeah. So when was the last time you girls called your grandma or grandpa? She's next to me <laughs> all the time at home. So I'm very blessed. You are. Yes. Yeah. Last time I visited my grandmother was Hari Raya. Mm. Yeah, same. Hari Raya. But then yeah, it's, it's once a year, you know? Yeah. It's quite tough with mm. the restrictions as well. Yeah. Okay. yeah. Mm. And talking about um, lonely older people, they are very vulnerable. Um, and, you know, there's been an issue with our seniors remaining um, unvaccinated. Yes. yes. Mm. Yeah. So, um, I've, I mean... 
the number that I had a couple of days ago was <coughs> over 170,000. Mm. And they have various concerns. One of them is they're not concerned about side effects right after the vaccine, but they're concerned about when they have fever two days later, when mm. they you know are at risk of fall because they're alone. Mm-hmm. So to them, that's the end of them. Like I fall and then I die. You know, mm-hmm. that's like, yeah, that's how they think. So it's really, I suppose, um, on all of us, right, to uh, try to facilitate as much as possible um, to get our seniors vaccinated and also to ease loneliness. You know, there's so much that we can do in communities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think this is also the part where like, I think uh, we should thank like those communities or like organizations that actually regularly check up on uh, the elderly. Mm. I think, I don't know what they are called. Um, they basically just call like, are you okay? Sometimes they will follow up with like, um, after your surgery, they will follow up with how you're feeling, etc, etc. So I think it's good that we have that. And, okay. <laughs> One thing that I want to ask you is that, uh, apart from all of this, right, um, I just want to ask you like, what is the day in the life of a geriatrician for you? Yeah. So, um, uh, maybe I can give a little bit of background and uh, about myself and what I do so that you know you can understand the context. Um, I'm 39 years old. I, I'm a mother of four. Mm-hmm. I have a girl, Hannah is 12. And then I have three boys. Mm-hmm. So uh, Mika is nine and Jibril is six. And then Isa is my COVID baby. So I mm-hmm. have a 13-month-old. Yeah, so my uh, schedule is pretty full with the caregiving of my kids. Sometimes I feel like I don't speak to anyone um, like uh, between the age of 12 and 80, you know, because my, my <laughs> patients are all old and then my kids are all young. Yeah, mm. um, so I, I, I start my day with the children. I do some drop-offs. I mean, my husband, he's a pharmacist mm-hmm. and um, he works very long hours as mm. well. So it's really... Um, like teamwork, you know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Then it's uh, I work in a hospital, so I'm a specialist. Uh, I see very ill patients in hospital. I run clinics as well. I see my well well patients in clinic, mm-hmm. and I do a once a week overnight call where I take in um, admissions from the A and E between like uh, eight a.m. to eight a.m. the next day. So my hours are a little bit irregular in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's my day. I. I communicate a lot, so I talk a lot to patients and relatives. You know, I I speak to patients over the uh, patients and relatives over their phone, mm. over the phone, and I um, work as part of a team as well with my nurses, physiotherapists, dietitian, pharmacists. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I mean, a lot of the work is and there's the science of it, um, and there's really so much the art of it, which mm-hmm. is you know healing, being mm-hmm. a, a doctor means nurturing relationships. Because mm-hmm. patients, they only listen to you if they trust you, mm-hmm. and they trust you when you build a relationship. Mm, that's true. Yeah. Uh, I don't tell you. So Boleh. when my <laughs> when my grandfather goes to the, I don't know why I always talk about my grandfather, but then he always go to the hospital. So he has yeah. a lot of uh things going on at the okay. hospital. So like his eye cataract, his okay. knee replacement, his hearing is also a problem. Mm. Yes. And like I always <laughs> when I tell on him, he's always like, Oh doctor to bodo like <laughs> you know like, yes. he gets very frustrated. Which okay la. I mean he's a just generally very angry person. 
but cute at the same time. <laughs> so how do you manage uh, macam elderly that are always frustrated and like sometimes macam how do you macam manage or like have the balance between like I need to be clear with my words and uh, between uh, I need to enforce this on the elderly so that he understands the severity of this condition. Um, so there, there is this pressure of time you know for doctors. I mean there are so many things that you need to Um, you need to like ask the patient during the clinic consult and a lot of times clinics clinics can be very busy mm. I would say that you know it is uh, right for your grandpa to feel frustrated because I'm sure you know if there are no new problems uh-huh. like if he's going for a regular follow up and you know everything's fine no new complaints then uh-huh. it would just be like okay continue all medicines and get out of my clinic yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, so that's one of the constraints of care. Um, but if he has a geriatric syndrome, like many multiple problems, then he would end up in uh, under the care of a specialist like myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so in a morning clinic, for example, I I may see one new case, so a person, a patient that I does I don't know at all. So that patient would be uh, allocated like an hour, mm-hmm. and then um, subsequently, my I would see maybe like six to ten patients. So I have more time and mm. an older person may need more time because they have so many medications and mm. like you mentioned, they have so so many medical problems. Yeah. Yeah. I see. And like, do you um, see your parents uh, as a patient or no, they go to completely different uh, doctors? doctors? Well, I, I always say that I am daughter. Oh, doctor. okay. Mm, doctor. Yeah. Separate, separate. <laughs> totally. I mean, I couldn't even convince my mom to go for knee surgery. Uh-huh. Um, so I had to call my friend. I mean, that's the advantage, uh, Alhamdulillah, that, you know, being medical, I have friends who are also medical. So I had to call my friend, who's an orthopedic surgeon, who called her mother, who's gone through knee surgery. I had to host a tea in my Ooh. house. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I think more than the like more than an orthopedic surgeon or another doctor telling my mom or you know or giving my mom the, her opinion I guess what was most valuable was the patient story right uh-huh. like meeting another person who's gone through knee surgery yeah and that's where like um support you know how women support each other how yeah. uh, how like your tribe matters yeah as in I bumped into a nurse you know he just got married last year so he's like oh this is my one month old and he said I can't imagine that you have four kids because I'm just dying with like my <laughs> one month old yeah like after my night shift I have to go and bring him to the polyclinic for his jaundice check uh-huh. you know and I'm like mm-hmm. I, I mean it's so like it's really heavy in this responsibility uh-huh. yeah so I guess just like talking to other fathers other new fathers um And for someone to say like it's going to be okay or like you will get through this like this is the worst part. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I asked my husband like okay I I don't know I don't know what I should have said to him uh-huh. you know like his experience because you know he said I'm like concerned about my wife it's like breastfeeding the baby depresses her like her mood dips every time she breastfeeds like yeah. I really don't know what to do yeah so I asked my my husband like what should I have, what should I have said because yeah. you know he's like a new father um, then. My husband said, oh, you just tell him, lan-lan saktam. Lan-lan saktam. Like, it's just, it's like, too bad. Yeah, too bad. Oh, just suck it up. Suck it up, yeah. 
Very real advice. Yeah. It's very manly advice actually if you think about it. Yeah. 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 Something you can do about it also. Yeah. Yeah. And I suppose Mm. it would help for him to talk to other new fathers, right? Uh But as a... Mm. Yeah, I mean, I I couldn't like relate completely because you know yeah. I, could, I could feel for his wife. I mean, yeah, yeah, like postnatal. I mean, these issues with breastfeeding, yeah, they're yeah. real. Yeah, I think uh we also interviewed Dr. Suraya, uh the oh, yeah. other day, and she also has four children. I think. I yeah, think. so Suraya was the orthopedic surgeon that uh like helped me with my mum because oh. we are yeah we are like mm. uh, schoolmates and mm. yeah we are, oh, we are nice. good friends. Yeah, so. I, I think uh, like hearing to her story, she has four children and she's also working as a specialist. You have four children, also a doctor. So I think it's so cool that you guys have best of both worlds, I would say. Like a career and like a mom. Yeah, I think it's it's amazing. Like it's really empowering to see how you're able to kind of pursue your, your career professionally and also be able to uh, and do for children I think it's really amazing but I think that's what Dr. Surya shared with us uh, she has a really uh, you probably have a, also an amazing support system behind you um, yes, to, to help sure. you out and yeah. I think that, that matters in everything even in the topic that we're talking about today mm. yep. yeah good job doctor <laughs> <laughs> okay uh, I watched a video the other day uh, from CNA whereby they document uh, and following a nurse around a male nurse and he said that it was his first day of being in the geriatrics uh, mm. ward right and like someone uh, a patient actually uh, how do I say this in a nicer way he pooped on the floor mm, wow. uh, okay. uncontrollably and then like the patient was remorseful. He was very apologetic. Apologetic, and it was just a lot going on. So, between you and your nurses, do you have any stories that you can share with us, or like shed some light of situations like this? I think it's it's one thing to be going through it as a nurse or as a doctor, and it's another to feel bad as a patient. You know, I just cannot imagine yeah. them being very apologetic. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I talked about. Uh, the my patient who like wet her you know who yeah. had a urine problem and she was too embarrassed to leave the house so incontinence like pooping at home do you know that if an older person is is uh, pooping not in the toilet bowl but you know around the house mm-hmm. or in, in the bed um, that itself is a very serious symptom and it's enough to um, send you to a nursing home you know your because to determine if somebody needs care in a nursing home, you have to determine how much how much care do they need. And if you mm-hmm. cannot use the toilet, if you're pooping everywhere, it's very stressful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, if um, like my brother's a cat and he, uh, the worst day for him is when he wakes up in the morning and the cat has like pooped somewhere. It's like, <laughs> yes. this is terrible. And yeah. the cat pooped in the bed once. It's like, okay, this is disaster. Like total, absolute <laughs> disaster. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it is very stressful. And if the, and if, you don't have dementia if you're fully aware of what's going on. It's um, very, very embarrassing. Yeah. Right? So, yeah, I have patients who wet the bed and they apologize to the nurses like, oh, so much work for you, you know? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I just wanted to share that with regards to incontinence. It's not like a small thing. Yeah. And if um, an older person has an issue with it, they may be too embarrassed even to ask you or to tell yeah. you about it. So, as a geriatrician, we specifically ask. Is yeah, this like, like pooping on the floor, is it like uh, because you say it's a serious thing, right? Is there like any build up to it? 
is there a build up to do that serious part well it um i mean it is an illness firstly it's not considered as a normal part of aging mm-hmm. oh. um, so oh. there can be there can be various reasons um a lot of times urine is more it's more common than uh being incontinent of like poop mm-hmm. yeah but all these things can be evaluated they can be worked out they can be treated oh can be treated yes how do we treat that and how do we prevent um, that sorry <laughs> yeah so uh with regards to to urine for example um we always say men tend to hold men tend to retain so they keep urine in um and that's because of prostate issues so the prostate is a gland uh which sits at the base of your bladder it, it mm-hmm. becomes bigger with age mm-hmm. yeah so that blocks blocks your urine flow mm-hmm. and then women tend to leak especially if you've had like many children you mm-hmm. you cough you sneeze and then mm-hmm. yeah you leak urine yeah so uh there are i mean many there are medications there's um, okay. surgery at times yeah i see how do we prevent it yeah we need to go just go <laughs> <laughs> when you're young like no because i hear yeah, yeah. yeah. you should not hold you know you get uki and other oh, serious yeah. issues as kidney well. stones kidney well. stones yeah, yeah. <laughs> think about that <laughs> so everyone's very worried about it <laughs> yeah um well uh there i mean there can be many reasons like i said so if your prostate gets bigger uh, as you age then that's not something preventable mm. i suppose yeah and um for women mean uh, a lot like just keeping well hydrated that mm. works i mean for younger uh, women the main concern would be urinary tract infections yep yeah mm. yeah so um i mean maintaining hydration is uh, it, you know it's something important and um I I think a lot of times we don't drink enough. Yeah. When you're feeling hungry, that can actually be the yeah. first sign that you are thirsty. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So like drinking up would help. Yeah. Of yeah. course, these are very general, you know, pieces of advice. Yeah. Mm, interesting. Yeah. So I'm actually uh, just now you mentioned about um nursing homes as well as care homes. Um, from my understanding of the Singapore's climate, um, the government is actually uh building more care facilities for seniors. Um, in within neighborhood so that you know um seniors don't have to travel very far to the pharmacies to collect their regular medication that's one and then they also have like certain facilities to um encourage more senior citizens to work um to congregate together to you know socialize and stuff like that mm-hmm. and they also have you know like the polyclinic near the households and stuff um one of the questions that i have actually is uh is there like a particular re- uh, difference between nursing home as well as care homes or are they all the same So when we talk about institutions um then you think of nursing home where you stay mm. where you stay in there uh, but there are different services as well uh, which is just like your kindergarten you know mm. daycare so there are elder care services um there are uh there are various uh, things that you can access various services that you can access in these daycare centers like exercise programs some are your socialization uh for for just for socialization some are uh, more dementia specific mm. yeah so if you imagine the same home it's like you stay there you know mm. it's like a residential home while mm. um like a daycare center or a rehab center that's a drop in drop off and these mm. are all like formal um formal programs um of course there are lots of informal groups like i'm sure you've seen your senior activity center mm. you know like under under the void deck for example so yeah. that's a very informal drop in drop off but even then um it's very useful because people who run these 
these uh, activity centers, they notice when the older person doesn't come. Mm-hmm. You know, so and they know they know um, the the people living in the neighborhood well enough that they know where they live, what's going on. You know, and I suppose um, informal care is when um, maybe the older person needs some help with. Uh, cleaning the fan you know yeah. they can like link up to volunteers or like going to the polyclinic they could um, sort of they have a pool of volunteers mm-hmm. yeah, so that those are more informal where you don't need a referral you don't need to uh, a lot of these other services nursing home daycare centers they're all paid yeah, yeah. Hmm. Uh, when uh, when we talk about daycare center the nursing home nursing yeah. home right I feel like within our community there's always a bad connotation behind it like oh you don't want to take care of your parents so you put them there or like you bring them there I feel oh. like for like full-time nursing homes maybe yeah like but even even like hospice care so like like daycare I don't see many of my makcik-pakcik or like nenek atau going there you know so I don't know I, maybe it's just my circle but I just feel like it's not very common where where around me So, mm. yeah, what do you think about that? Well, I think that um, just like, I mean, I'm drawing my experience as a mother, you mm. know, like a lot of decisions that we make are child-centered, like, you know, what's good for the child. So, there is a stigma around nursing homes where it's considered like you abandon, you know, and even families talk like, oh, si dia tu taruh mak kat dalam orang tua. Yeah, yeah. But I've been in, I mean, I have encountered patients who um, the child, you know, the uh, the daughter or the son, they have to work. Otherwise, yeah. there's no food on the table. Yeah. So they go out to work. And what they do is that they, um, you know, like, they teach mom and dad to change their own diapers. They mm-hmm. put food around, you know, like dried food, yeah. uh, what won't spoil around the bed. And sometimes... Uh, mom or dad, they are so weak that they uh, cannot even get out of bed and they develop bed sores. Mm. Yeah. So, this is really uh, a case of neglect. You know, it's not good for the older person. So, in some situations, um, there's no choice. Yeah. yeah. And if it's good for the older person to be in an institution because there's no caregiver, then, mm. you know, that would be the best decision for that older person. Mm. Yeah. Okay. So, we should um, destigmatize. But mm. at the same time, Um, I think that uh, we should, I, I suppose, um, like, none of us would want to be in a care home, for example. Yeah. You know, like, even, yeah. um, it, it's considered like a last resort. Like, yeah. everyone wants to age in their own home, mm-hmm. right? That's, like, comfortable. Yeah. Um, but I'm just saying that we shouldn't uh, stigmatize or we shouldn't judge people because I have seen cases of serious, like, neglect. Older mm-hmm. people who are neglected. And it's not because their, their children don't care for them. You know, it's really not because of that, but because of social circumstances. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I think it's very important to actually um, differentiate the different like nursing home versus like a daycare versus a hospice care, etc. I think it's very difficult if you want to generalize the things and like put a one opinion on it. Yeah. Yes, I think it really yeah. puts things in perspective as well. Like I'm now, like this whole discussion has got me thinking about like if you know wh- what would I do if I were in a position where my parents are in that kind of uh you know uh, situation? What would I do? It's like on one hand, like I would have to work, and then 
on the other hand do i want to hire external help who will be staying in my home or do i want that or but then again i don't want them to be neglected i want them to be taken care of uh, so it's my yes. solution to be dropping them off at like a hospice care or something where they would be around people but then the fact that like i wouldn't want to be in a nursing home says a lot about i think the stigma that the, around yeah. the perception of being in a nursing home which uh like what you know what doctors say is it's not should not be there because um there are different reasons i think and there are reasons real reasons why there are nursing homes around yeah. because uh they provide i think the kind of help and the yes. kind of environment that is is better than at home sometimes for for the yes, elderly yes for sure yeah yeah you're right yes so i would i would say that people don't want to be in a nursing home for example but if you say that um you know you will receive good care in a nursing home mm. and there's no one to care for you at home you may fall and no one may know you know you may yeah. be on the ground lots of older people living alone are found on the on the floor yeah yeah and they are only noticed when neighbors uh see that perhaps they have a meal delivery service mm. you know some uh, some people have meals delivered yeah. and only when they see a few packets of uh, food yeah. left at the doorstep then you realize that the older person is on the floor yeah and unable to get up mm. yeah so i think that even the choice of okay uh, good care or you know being like in difficulty and um being neglected or unable to care for yourself then people would still choose like you know being dignified uh, receiving care mm. yeah so i guess like the whole entire situation where putting your parents in a nursing home for instance is very much They, there's this like negative uh, connotation towards it i guess it also plays a part into our asian culture where you know filial piety is very important and that mm-hmm. we personally feel that they have gone through so much uh, to raise us and it's now our time to take care of them so that's one way to look at it and i guess yes. another thing is that um You know, the media, there are certain stories like uh, the, um, the elderly were abused in nursing homes and then you can't do anything. And that really perpetuates the whole entire negative aspect. Um, so I guess it's it boils down back to what you mentioned earlier on, Doctor, like uh, about trust. You know, you need to be able to trust the facility. You need to be able to trust the, the staff. And at the end of the day, you have to make your own decisions lah. There's yeah. multiple options. I think there's yeah. also like a fear that the par- for the parents that if they're in a nursing home that their children will no, no longer visit them uh, as often, I feel. Uh, and it will just be convenient for them to just be there. So I, I feel like there's also that fear as a parent when you are in that sort of uh, facility, especially if your partner is no longer around. Just Do you think it feels like a prison somehow in their minds? I feel, I feel. My uh, analogy analogy is that imagine if right now I don't like to go to camps. Imagine like me going to camp when I'm older, which is the nursing home. So I just don't want to experience that myself. So means that I don't want to don't let my parents experience that. So would you? Would you? Would you? What would you do? Would so you? Would you? Do? <laughs> You. What would you do? <laughs> What would I do is, I mean, obviously, best case scenario, if I'm not working, <laughs> if I'm yeah. rich enough, I'll just like stay home and like care. But obviously, I think, in my opinion, uh, my parents would, as as a parent in the future, future, I would want to be stay put at home. So like, I think the idea of having a portable nurse, is it what they call? 
mobile nurse. What the nurse? Home nurse who comes to your yes. house in the mornings and then they will care for you and then, <laughs> and then leave in the evening or like they just come within a time period. Mm-hmm. I think that will be that would be the most uh, is like the best of both worlds. You get, you get professional care as well as you get uh, you get to still be in your comfort zone which is your home. Yeah. That's my opinion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, when my grandparents were sick, um, what my uncles and aunts did was that um, they would actually take turns to take care of um, each one of them. Um, or like even some of them actually had to quit their jobs in the meantime to take care of my grandparents la, when they were really yes. sick. So I guess caregiving is really a full-time job and you need to be able to sacrifice it whether or not you want to spend money on it or like if you really don't have enough money, then you really have to think about um Sacrificing your time, perhaps. Yeah, mm. and yeah. I, so, I also think that the surrounding family members cannot see it as a burden, as a burden, mm. and like just have like positive mindset that this is just part of living, and it's not like oh, mak kenada nurse up until like. I think it's very important that family support should should still be there. <laughs> yeah. But I think like with everything else, you really need like a, a really good support system. Now. Yeah. Um, like people around you to just be supportive of this same goal that you have which is to to help uh, your parent help this person to go through whatever they're going through and just be patient together because for sure it's not easy like I saw my mom um, caring for my grandparents when they were going through that slow decline uh, mm. and it's just not easy lah. and you need like I saw her and her sisters taking turns to come and I think it's a privilege if you have a family member taking care of you full time uh, they took care of my grandparents so long that they the nurses and doctors said that they could be nurses <laughs> because they can do whatever the nurses can do already that's good so yeah, um, sure. it's really amazing yeah I think yeah. yeah so I really like uh, Nurul's point about filial piety I mean you know we have um, values and we know that there's a great reward in looking after our parents. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, thank you, Doctor. Mm, it's a great day. <laughs> <laughs> Inshallah, we will have philopathy in us. <laughs> Inshallah. Inshallah. Uh, thank you f- for joining us uh, this evening. Thank you so much for taking time off from your movie night. <laughs> no, you can join them. Uh, thank you so much. Uh, anything to wrap up? Anything that we should... Uh, we as uh, adults or we as children should take note of uh, to ensure or like to delay the process of dementia or like anything else? Well, I think it's very urgent in times of a pandemic to make sure that everyone is vaccinated. Yes. I, um, I, my husband and I brought his grandmother. Yeah, sorry. Um, my husband brought his grandmother, but you know, I uh, suggested that he do he do it because um, she was having you know trouble like going booking at that time. We still had to book an appointment, and in the end, you know, he brought her for both injections. What's important as well is that after the injection, if they experience side effects, for someone to be there, you know, to make sure that they are fed, that um, if they have fever, they have access to medications. Um, I think it's really uh, on all of us to to facilitate this because there's so much that um, 
we can do like that or the government can push for vaccination among yeah. the, our older people and I find that in my practice some older people with dementia they they refuse the vaccine but they do they do not have the capacity to make this decision you know yeah. when I ask them what is vaccine uh, what are the what are the benefits what are the risks um, they don't understand fully what mm. is vaccination mm. and the family takes it as mom and dad they, uh, he, he or she doesn't want so we mm. respect that decision yeah. with uh, dementia this person has dementia they don't have the capacity mm. yeah so you know we should really uh, explore especially especially if the older person doesn't um, you know has a diagnosis like dementia uh, whether this decision is uh, something that we can make the decision for them because they are unable to grasp what the whole thing is about. Mm. Yeah, so I am, um, I mean, I'm coming out to say all these things on my social media platforms. So I am at geriatrician.sg. So that's like geriatrician.sg, like Singapore. Um, and I'm talking a lot about dementia and about vaccination. Mm. Yeah, so we should really uh, push for it because that's the way that we are all going to get out of this yes. yeah, the pandemic. Very true. All right. Thank you so much. Don't forget to um, check out Dr. Farhan Alami at geriatrician.sg on social media platforms to just know more about dementia and anything about geriatrics. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. Um, For you guys who are watching this, don't forget to like, share, and subscribe this video. Thank you, Dr. Farhan Alami. Good night, guys. Toodles. Good night. If you're in Singapore, you'll know that food is our number one priority. Food and Singaporeans are practically inseparable. It's literally the best ingredient for any occasion, any stress you got going on. You know, food solves everything. Because, for example, if it's your birthday, let's go eat. You got a promotion. You deserve a treat, sayang. You feel like pulling your hair out. Come on, I'll bring you for supper. Yeah, you get what I mean? It's literally perfect for everything. And of course, we want to tell you everything about it. Like places you didn't know were halal. Or 12 new halal places you need to try this week, for example. We are determined to make your tummy bigger. And bigger, and bigger, and bigger than last year or any time. So follow us on the blog to get all the insights at www.halaltrip.com And of course, we are also on every social media platform at Halal Trip. Alright guys, thanks for listening. So we'll see you on the next episode. Don't forget to give us a shout out on anchor.fm slash the Halal Travel Podcast. Your voice message could be featured in our next episode. Yep, and if you have any advertising and collaboration opportunities, contact us at info at halaltrip.com. That's I-N-F-O at H-A-L-A-L-T-R-I-P dot com. Also, don't forget to follow us on our Instagram, Facebook and Twitter at Halal Trip. We're also now on Telegram and TikTok. Until next time, get inspired, go and inspire others. Mm-hmm.